I'm Joe Beachboard. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this is Workplace Strategies Update. Dennis, how are you? I'm doing well, Joe. Not as well as you, it seems. Oh, uh, you're referring to the fact that I'm wearing a suit today. Look at you looking yeah. all dressed up. Well, you up. know, you, you, you had that very nice po- uh, pocket square last week. I did, and I did. So I thought we were sort of stepping up our game a little. We got a very special guest today, yes. so I thought, you know, I'd dress up a little bit. Put on I'm, a tie. I'm, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why like, didn't you put on pants? Laker, Laker color ties. Well, I can't see that. So, okay, fair you know, enough. But, uh, so, yeah, no, I was, I was sort of expecting you to wear a tie as well. You chose not to do so but you did bring back the pocket square i did bring back the pocket square well that's good well this is uh podcast number eight number eight ocho wow ocho yeah so um and we've got a lot to talk about today we have a lot to cover yeah uh we're gonna talk a little bit about workplace strategies gonna have a special guest yes indeed our thursday keynote speaker erica dewan yeah and of course we'll wrap up with our regular feature what you drinking i have my winning bottle here and i have my bottle that actually will win <laughs> well first of all thanks all of you for joining us whether you're on the video or on the podcast uh if you're on the podcast be sure that you subscribe we're now available on spotify apple or anywhere else you get your podcast oh you jumped in on that one i there. did oh, i see I? okay yeah. all right okay yeah. that's good i liked it though all i liked right. it keep doing that uh, well, remember, we have four principles on this program. They are swag, substance, wine, and competition. That's what it is. And and that actually is in the right order. Well, not actually. The words weren't in the order, but yeah. the letters were in the right the order. SSWC. The right order. That's yes, the principles of, of our uh, programs here. And the wine component, of course, is very important aspect of the program. Each week, Dennis and I will present a wine, and you get to vote on the wine that you prefer. Last week, I presented an Artessa Rosé. A beautiful bottle of wine. Beautiful bottle of wine. It really is. And I, of course, uh, had the Bella Gloss Pinot Noir, the baby Camus, as Mm -hmm. I think you could Mm -hmm. probably call it. So we'll announce the uh, winning story and the winning uh, member of the audience uh, after our special guest. Absolutely. Now, remember, you can win a bottle of wine uh, by doing one or two or actually both of these things. One, you can subscribe to the podcast. Everybody who subscribes to the podcast, they get included in the uh, in our big uh, bowl that we pick a name out of. Big bowl. Big bowl. Getting bigger all the time. And uh, Or you can participate in the poll on the video cast. And if you participate in the poll, selecting one of the wines, your favorite wine, uh, then that will get you entered as well. And each week we will pick a winner, and that winner gets to choose which of the two bottles they would like to, uh, to enjoy. And Joe will be sending you a bottle from his cellar. Well, we'll see. That would be a change, but it's possible. It's always, always possible. Uh, well, let's turn to uh, workplace strategies. Uh, we've got some big news today. We do. We're very excited to announce that joining us in Austin will be the world's leading authority on 21st century teamwork, collaboration, and connectional intelligence. That's right, Dennis. Erica Dewan is going to be our keynote presenter on Thursday, June the 24th. 
She helps companies, leaders, and manage leverage their collaboration skills to create game-changing performances. Uh, Erica speaks at events all around the world, including the famous World Economic Forum in Davos. That is correct. She's also the co-author of the book, Get Big Things Done, The Power of Connectional Intelligence, which was number one on the list, What Corporate America is Reading. And she has a brand new book coming out in just a few days that's called Digital Body Language. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. Hey, Erica. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Dennis and Joe. Well, thank you for your time, and we so much are looking forward to your presentation at Workplace Strategies, which now is going to be in Austin, Texas. Absolutely. Originally in Chicago, now Austin, Texas, on June 24th. Can't wait to be there. You know, um, Erica, since the, the new book isn't quite out yet, and, and that's going to be a big focus, I'm sure, of, of your talk in Austin, I'd like to spend a, a few minutes with, with your last book, Get Big Things Done, which I actually just finished reading last week in preparation uh, for, for, this, uh, for this meeting. And it's based on what you refer to as connectional intelligence. Can you explain that concept to us? A lot of the ways that we measure networks, especially in our digital world, is through the quantity of connections. How many LinkedIn, how many Twitter followers, instead of the quality of our connections. But my research has shown that having a lot of networks, having a lot of Zoom meetings, having a lot of emails in our inbox doesn't necessarily lead to measurable change. The key is the skill of how we leverage our networks and relationships. And that's what connectional intelligence is all about. Interesting. So, Erica, how does that translate into getting big things done? Well, let me give you some examples of the power of connectional intelligence and how it can allow all of us to get big things done. Take one example that I think is relevant and diverse for all of us surfers. Uh, one of my favorite examples from my book is a man named Dusty Payne. Dusty Payne wanted to win the world's surfing competition, which was in Hawaii every year. Now, Dusty was just a young kid and he had big dreams. So what he did is he used his connectional intelligence. The first thing he did is he would regularly study on YouTube hundreds of videos available for free from around the world of surfers and how they were mastering their moves for a surfing competition. Then what he did is he used his connectional intelligence and he brought in adjacency sports. He studied mountain bikers. He studied windsurfers. He studied motocross champions to identify new and innovative ways to bring new surfing moves to these competitions. And he identified and created a motocross surfing move that ended up causing him to win the competition. So connectional intelligence not only allows us to do big things in the workplace, breaking silos, avoiding duplicative work, it can also allow us to take initial small dreams, add connection, think differently about how we partner with others to get big things done. Do you think that connectional intelligence played a role in finding a vaccine for COVID-19? I mean, after all, that was a global big thing. Connectional intelligence has been one of the most powerful ways where citizens, communities, government officials, anyone can participate in solving big problems, especially in moments of crisis, even before the COVID vaccine 
We've seen many cases of the power of connectional intelligence in crisis. Many of us may remember the earthquake in Nepal a few years ago. It struck the country within 48 hours, hundreds of people, thousands of people were dying. But during that, right after that earthquake, within 48 hours of the earthquake, actually a network, a digital network was built of over 2,000 200 digital mappers. These are individuals that went on their laptops that didn't live in Nepal and they used online maps to map using YouTube, using uh, different satellite imagery to map the entire country of Nepal within 48 hours. They identified every single location where helicopters and planes could land. They pulled in from Twitter messages from citizens in Nepal struggling where help was needed. And the Coast Guard and the Marine Corps actually cited how they used this map created by citizens to relocate survivors to safer ground, to reappropriate food and medical supplies, and even cited that they saved lives of people that were stuck under rubble. And had it not been for this map, we wouldn't have been as connectionally intelligent. Now, if we apply that to the last year, we've seen the power of connectional intelligence through COVID, whether it's been unique ways to allow students to still continue to learn, to allow shared expertise of researchers as we fought to speed up finding a vaccine and to allow partnerships across doctors, across pharma companies, across corporate employers to really allow all of us to create safer lives in this time of change. So connectional intelligence is not just important in crisis or even in in the COVID vaccine solution, which it's been amazing for. It is also something that we can use when we simply identify not only who can help us solve a problem, but ask ourselves, who else could we engage? How could we include those that may be unusual suspects so that we can get to the best answers, so that we can get big things done and think beyond our own silos and let everyone be part of the solution? Erica, the I, I, what I loved about the book was that it was full of wonderful stories about people applying connectional intelligence. And, and thank you for sharing two of those with us uh, here today. Now, many in our audience are HR professionals, and they're constantly dealing with the challenges associated with recruiting talent. Could connectional intelligence help them recruit and retain, I suppose, millennials? Absolutely. Research shows that when we rely solely on resumes and traditional interview settings to recruit and retain millennials, we are very biased. Uh, studies have shown that roughly a third of the people that are at the top of the chain based on resumes are actually high performers in the workplace. And a lot of the ways that we've recruited employees, whether it's millennials or really Gen Z now, millennials are almost 40 years old, are have, have been based on some of the biases of a traditional resume, whether they were at certain schools or had certain experience versus they're on the job learning. And one of the most interesting ways we're seeing new connectional intelligence around recruiting and, and retention First on recruiting, one really unique community I'll mention is Quora. Quora is an online question and answer community. It's used by millions of people around the world. It's free and it's spelled Q-U-O-R-A. And when you ask a question on the Quora network, anyone can answer that question. But what Quora has built is the data of intelligence of who are subject matter experts. You can rate the quality of people's questions and the quality of people's answers. So if someone answers a lot of questions, on a specific topic and they are rated highly on that topic, they get tagged 
as an expert. And now in the platform, if you go in and you ask a question, you can automatically get referred to five people that might know the answer to that question because they've shared their passion, their expertise on that specific topic. Now, think about recruiting. Think about how biased we are if we're solely relying on resumes or or one-off interviews to judge individuals? What if we use the power of digital communities to identify talent that may be perfect for our company from years of experience and knowledge sharing? What if we used these digital platforms not only to go to the same top schools, but actually leverage those that may be unusual suspects, but may be perfect for our firms. And when it comes to retention, if we think about our own employee base, not only for their job description, but leverage peer-to-peer digital communities so that they can share knowledge, they can break not only, again, contributing for their own job role, but also to help others, we not only will have better recruiting, but also better retention of millennials and Gen Z. Wow, fascinating. I can tell your enthusiasm for the topic. Now, everyone who joins us in Austin is going to receive a copy of your brand new book, Digital Body Language. So Workplace Strategies may be your first opportunity to discuss that topic. Can you give us a little taste of what you're going to address? Ambiguous text messages, confusing emails, video calls that go, oops, oh no, you go, or you're on mute. Have we ever been in situations like this before? Similar to what traditional body language was for all of us, the face nod, the the eye contact, the direct handshake. Today, we body language hasn't disappeared. It's actually transformed. And what I argue is we now infuse digital body language symbols and cues. And digital body language are the new signals and cues that make up the subtext of our messages. I, in my book, I talk about how reading messages carefully is the new listening. Writing clearly is the new empathy. And a phone or video call is worth a thousand emails. So in my new book and in some of my insights, you will learn not only how to apply connectional intelligence in a face-to-face world, but how to apply it in a digital or hybrid world using the skills of digital body language. Nice. And for those that are in the in-person audience, you're going to stick around for a few minutes and do a book signing, right? That's right. I can't wait to do a book signing again and be with all of you. So get excited for not only practical strategies around how to lead, communicate, and engage in our hybrid changed world, but also to have some practical tools, including a book that you can take home to your teams. Nice. Wonderful stuff. Erica, thank you so much for your time. And thanks for joining us at Workplace Strategies 2021 in Austin, Texas. Thanks. See you in Texas. See you in Texas. All right. That was a fascinating discussion. Very interesting. Very interesting, Erica. I'm very much looking forward to having her present at Workplace Strategy and talk about her new book. Yes. Digital Body Language. You know that uh, the surfer story she told, she told that for me. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, named Beachboard, California. You know, she had to have seen that and realized, you know, I got to tell, I got to tell the surfer story. Ah, Okay. Fair enough. I mean, she's got dozens of stories in there. Why does she pick the surfer story? All right. Fair enough. I didn't say that wasn't the reason. Okay. All right. Well, you know, because it was. It's always about Joe. (laughs) You know what else it's about? What's it about? Uh, There's a SHRM, a new SHRM survey. You know I love following these SHRM, or SHRM. Yes. We we still debate whether it's I say it's SHRM. Yeah, I think they're going by SHRM. But that's okay. It doesn't matter. So a new new survey out, and I think think, think you're going to find it interesting. Okay. So um, this 
survey Sherm conducted of employed Americans, employed okay? Americans. And they asked them whether they, uh, whether, basically whether they plan to be vaccinated or not. So All whether right. they said they probably or definitely would get vaccinated, okay? okay? Probably or definitely would okay. um, get vaccinated. And then they, you know, categorized folks uh, based on certain factors, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So the first one is by region, okay? Ah. So the regions are the west, west. the northeast, northeast, the midwest, midwest, and the south. The south. Okay. Right. Of those four regions, right. which do you think people were most likely to say they're going to be vaccinated? I would say the west. Absolutely correct. I would say the west. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. West, 71% of people in the west said that they would be vaccinated. Interesting. And if you look at the other statistic, it drops off pretty significantly oh, right? from there. The other three are pretty tight. Okay. But uh, the West, 71%. Um, next up is the South, 62%. Interesting. Yeah, 62% uh, of the people in the South, 61% in the Northeast, mm -hmm. and the least likely individuals to get vaccinated, according to this SHRM study, were folks in the Midwest. Huh. The West, I understood the rest toss-up for me yeah 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 well and that, and that would be consistent with the numbers yeah they yeah. were very they were very very close I, I would guess the west though because i think i i remember i remember when the vaccine was hadn't come out yet people were talking oh man hope they hurry up and come out with a yeah. vaccine you heard a lot about that in the west yeah, yeah. well and, and you would think that regions that were more impacted mm -hmm. would be likely to do that which is why the northeast number surprises yeah, that me, surprises me a little bit that, that that's that that's as low as it is. You know, they also looked at industry, and they, they just had them categorized in three industries, um, um, knowledge, uh, knowledge type industries, physical type industries, and service type industries. And, and interesting, by far, um, the most that were going to said they were going to get vaccinated are people in the knowledge type industry, by mm. far, 80%. The least, I thought was shocking, a little bit, um, service type. 54%. And isn't, I mean, isn't, aren't those the people who are most likely to interact with others? On the front lines. Right? Yes. Right? And the least likely to get vaccinated. That's a little little scary. That was not what I would have thought. Yeah, a little scary. Let me ask you this one. Let me have, you, right. let me have you guess on All this right. one. All right. So um, who do you think said they would definitely or probably get vaccinated more frequently, men or women? My guess would be women. And you would be wrong. Actually, significantly more men, 69% of employed men, said that they would get vaccinated, um, but only 57% of employed women. Does that surprise you? That does surprise me. You know, for many, many years, we've known uh, that in general, women uh, take care of their health better than men do. Uh, women keep those uh, scheduled doctor's appointments more often than men do. That surprises me. And generally have better judgment. And generally have better judgment. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Well, that'll, uh, that'll, that'll keep us uh, safe at home. That'll right? keep us in emails, the fact that you just said that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so, and the last one, um, sort of interesting. So, uh, of, of individuals who either had or didn't have children age 18 or younger in their homes, mm -hmm. who do you think was more likely to say they would get vaccinated. Those with children under 14 or those with, I mean, sorry, with, with children under 18 or those 
that did not have children under 18? I would guess those that did have children under 18 would be more likely to get vaccinated. Dramatically more so. I, I would yes. guess that. Uh, I mean, 78 yeah. percent versus 50, 59 percent. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, uh, kids uh, tend to bring all kinds of germs home and all kinds of viruses and bugs. And so I can imagine being a parent thinking, you know what, I better protect myself and protect my family. I can imagine that. Yeah. I mean, I guess on the other side, you could say, right, those who don't have children in in, in their homes might tend to be older, right? Because perhaps their children might. have grown and, and therefore might be more at risk. Mm -hmm. So you might, I don't know, it's a that's, yeah, that's it's a possibility. On the, Absolutely. On the other side as well. Sure. But anyways, interesting um, or an interesting study. We'll Very continue to bring these uh, as they as they come out and, yeah. and talk about them a little bit. But now we get to the most enjoyable part of the entire podcast. Mm -hmm. Right. That's mm -hmm. where we get to talk about the uh, winners of the wines. And last week you had um, you had a beautiful bottle of wine. I did have a beautiful bottle. of One wine. of my and favorite a story. Yes. And a great story. One of my favorite uh, places to visit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you, want, you want to say anything about the wine? Or? No, I do not. No. Okay. So it was a rosé from Artessa. Artessa. Yeah. Uh -huh. Which, uh, beautiful bottle. And I had And the, a great wine. And a great wine. No question about it. I had the Bella Gloss, uh, Bella Gloss. Pinot. My favorite Pinot. Uh, yes. Um, and uh, it was the audience's favorite as well. So I want to thank you yeah. for that that in endorsement. Because they likely liked your wine better like my story better. That's my guess. <laughs> well... I, you know, we, we, we try to give instructions Just and directions. Saying. I'll let you give them at Just the end saying. If, you, if you like, because, you know, it's, this is kind of on a, on a little bit of a run here. Yeah, well, okay. a little bit of a run. Mm -hmm. So our uh, randomly drawn win winner from uh, those who have subscribed to the podcast or those who voted in the poll is Tammy Riley. So, uh, Tammy Riley, you'll be getting a bottle of wine coming from. It's on the way, Tammy. It's on the way. So. Um, well, you got a chance to chance to bounce, bounce back. You hid your wine again, so I did not know what you were uh, presenting. And I didn't hide my wine. I didn't want you to sabotage my wine. Oh, okay. Well, that this is a fabulous wine. This is a fabulous wine. So I'll I've let got you... a great wine and a great story. Okay, a great wine and a great story. So do you want to go first? Or do you want to go second? No, no. You, you. It's. Definitely, the silver medalist gets to go first. That's yeah, the way it's been. Yeah. Wow. Well, all right. So here's the story. I love Merlot. I have enjoyed Merlot for many, many years. In fact, I enjoyed Merlot way before I enjoyed Cabernets and Pinots. And then in 2004, the movie Sideways came out. And if you didn't see it, it was a buddy movie. These two guys were touring the central coast of California's wine country. They loved Pinots. And they talked up Pinots. And they talked down Merlots. I mean, really talked down Merlots. And uh, what do you know? Following the movie, the price of Pinots went through the roof. The sales increased by approximately 16%. The price of Merlots dropped, and the sales of Merlots dropped by about 2%. But I kept right on drinking Merlot. You want to know why, Joe? I'll tell you. Because... I'm too stubborn to let someone tell me what kind of wine I should enjoy. Plus, I really like a bargain. My favorite of all the Merlots is this Duckhorn. This is a 2015 Duckhorn Merlot, really drinkable, very fruity. I think you'll enjoy it. This is the winning wine this week. 
Well, that's a great story, and it is amazing that um, a movie could have that impact on wine. And it it depressed the prices of Merlot for many, many years, and you're absolutely right. uh, It's been a bargain buy for many. It's starting to come back, though. It's starting to come back. Yeah, it's become uh, kind of in the last three or four years, and... uh, and uh, and that's that's the pinnacle. I mean, I really think that when you look at the top of Merlots, you look at Duckhorn. Don't so. comment on my wine. Move on. Trying to Nothing help. to see here. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> okay. Okay. I can't even help, right? Don't comment okay. on my wine. I you know, it's it's a great bottle. I it's mean, a great I'm, bottle. I'm I'm trying to you know, trying to help. But. And a great story. All right, so um let's though talk about the winning wine. Because this is did. this is special. So uh, this is Humanitas, and this is a 2014 Napa Valley, 100% Napa Valley Cabernet. Um, It's a beautiful bottle, bottle number 2900, in fact, Uh, so a special bottle at that. It's from what they call George's Vineyard, um, which is a collection of 20-year-plus vines. It's a terrific wine, but but even, even a better story because... Humanitas is Latin for philanthropy, character, and human nature. And they go by the saying. I'm not going to read it off the back because you gave me such a hard time when mm. I read it off the back the last Reservedly. time. But I still won. But they make honorable wines and they give back to the community. So the profits from this wine are donated to fighting hunger in Northern California. So it's a great wine. really is a great wine. It's a great value. And... It supports the community, and that's why they say drink charitably, and that's why you should vote for Humanitas 2014 Napa Valley Cabernet. Okay. Well, I had nice things to say about yours. That was a nice bottle. That's a nice story. Okay. (laughs) All right. So um, you can vote uh, right now on the the polling. Absolutely. And uh, we will include you in the drawing uh, for uh, one of these two bottles, your choice of which bottle. Uh, You vote for the story you like best, and then you get to choose the bottle you like. Uh, You can also be entered in the drawing simply by subscribing to the podcast. So that's another way that you can can win. Well, um, great show. Another great show. Another great show. One of the can. Remember um, that everyone who attends Workplace Strategies, June 23rd through the 25th in Austin, Texas, will receive a copy of Erica Dewan's book, brand new book, just coming out, called Digital Body Language. And she is going to do a book signing signing. for us there in Austin. Now, if you're not able to join us and you're going to participate in the virtual conference, that's okay. You're going to actually get the the choice of an ebook or an audio book. So you're going to get to enjoy uh, digital body language as well. That way, everyone will be able to enjoy the book and enjoy the presentation and enjoy the program. If you haven't signed up, make sure you do so. If you're planning to come to Austin, do so soon because the site the seats are filling up cl- uh, quickly, and there's only 350. Getting full. We're getting full pretty quickly here. Dennis, what else you want to talk about? Uh, that'll be it. Okay. Well, um, until next time, I'm Joe Beachboard, and I'm Dr. Dennis Davis, and this has been Workplace Strategies Update.